The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. So, we're continuing through the gospel of Luke, a feast for failures. Last week we finished up uh, Luke 15, which had three parables primarily, right? We had the, the lost sheep, we had the lost coin, and we had the, what's called the lost sons, right? And if I were to pull most of you, I think most of you would be like, yeah, those are real familiar. I love those. Those are some of my favorite texts. I just love the beauty. Okay. Amen. Hallelujah. Love it. I got to tell you, 16, well, it's just not 15, right? If I were to ask most of you if you're familiar with 16, you'd be like, yeah. And I'd say, is that some of your favorite scriptures? You'd be like, mm, probably not. Probably not. Uh, and the reason is because Luke 15 is like a big old softball for a guy with a big old bat who can still swing, right? What I'm saying is the preaching is easy, man. It's just grace and mercy on every ounce of that baby.
One who the Bible, we have no choice except to engage this word. So let's engage it and let's let's ask the Lord to teach your heart. I'm going to try to help you navigate this chapter. Okay, so here's here's a real. This is just an encouragement. Look at verse one. It says there was a certain rich man. See that? Verse fourteen. We'll look at that next week. The Pharisees who are lovers of money. Okay. And lastly. Uh, the last parable that, that closes out this, this chapter is verse 19. There was a certain rich man. So, so there's a connection here. Jesus is aiming to make sure that his disciples understand something, right? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Jesus talked a lot about money. As a matter of fact, 11 of his 39 parables were about money. So think about that. That's a lot, right? Sim Keller said that every time Jesus opened his mouth in Scripture, 28% of the time he was talking about finances. Now, if you think, well, that was because he was really making sure he needed to talk to those folks. I'm telling you right now, the biggest temptation is to think he's not talking to you and he's not talking to me about these things. Now, now here's the thing. When, when the, the subject of money comes up, we can all, that can land on every one of us differently, right? Some of us feel convicted in a good way, in a godly way, and, and change happens. That happened to me. I want to talk about that. We'll talk about that another time. I'm having a good time in the sermon for that. Some of us, we don't know how to steward our money well, or let's say God's money well. And so, but, but, but instead of feeling conviction, we feel condemnation, right? Like God doesn't love me, and all these different thoughts start to come in. The other temptation that I think comes up in, for a lot of American Christians is we harden our heart and we say, something for me, I don't want to hear it. Stop our ears. Don't let that be. Right. Well, I'll tell you why. Because we love money more than we think. I, I, I'm talking about everyone in this room. Uh, and when so someone speaks on it, we put up walls. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows we don't like to talk about it, right? But, but here's the deal. Uh, Jesus is never afraid to go where we don't want to go. As a matter of fact, that's, that's exactly where he needs to go. To get you to go where he's going. Right? That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And, and so... Oftentimes, Jesus will, will give us the medicine we desperately need, even though we don't like the taste. And so, my encouragement is, is to cooperate with the Lord in that way. So, let's, with all that as introduction, let's dive into the text. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 16. He also said to his circle, disciples, highlight, underline, whatever you want to say, his audience is his followers, right? This is who he's talking to. He says there was a certain, there was a rich man who had a manager, or a steward, you could say. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. Just real quick, notice it says, he also said, What's he, this is connection with 15. Don't think, oh, new story. I'm talking about money today. And the, the connection is that word, wasting his possessions, just like the prodigal wasted all that he had. The same Greek word, squandered. Okay, so that's your connection point. And he called him and he said to him, What is this that I've heard about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be my manager. You ever been fired? I actually haven't, which is a miracle, I think. Um, but I imagine it's an awful feeling. I hope to never find out. Don't fire me, please. Uh, I think it would be an awful feeling to be fired, right? That's what's happened to this manager. 
this steward, this man, right? This manager was a servant. He would, he would be responsible for overseeing the operation of the entire household, right? So this rich man has a manager, and he's caring for his finances. So you can imagine it would be very imperative to make sure that this manager or steward would be both competent and trustworthy in that position because you're entrusting everything to this person to manage, right? So that's the picture that we have. And it appears that this dude is anything but trustworthy, right? Um, imagine this in today's terms, right? Boss comes in, says, give me your phone, give me your laptop, give me your iPad, clean up your desk if you have one, and get out of here. You're fired. That's what this looks like. Okay? So that's the scene that we have. And this man accepts that he's been caught. He accepts that he's been caught with his hands in the cookie jar, and he's about to lose his job. So now he's got to figure out, what am I going to do? Well, we don't have to guess. We can look. So look at verse 3 and 4 with me. And the manager said to himself, <laughs> right? He's, he's engaging in some self-talk. He's thinking. He's reasoning about his future. What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me. I love this. He says, I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. I have decided what I will do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. I mean, this is, this is actually hilarious, right? He knows that he cannot retain his, his current position. He knows that. So he accepts it. He also knows that this, these hands aren't made for manual labor, right? <laughs> I gotta tell you, mine are not, right? So this, I, feel, I feel this guy, right? He's too proud to beg, so both of those are off the table. So he's like, I, I better get slick. I better figure this thing out, because I, I just do not want to go digging. So he, he focuses all his mental energies on, on securing his future. And, and how he does it is, is interesting. He's gonna secure his future without a job, and he does so in order that people will welcome him into their homes with hospitality, right? So what's his plan? I'm glad you asked, because that's where it goes next. So, so you got the picture. I just want you to see the parable, because it's really interesting. And then the hard work comes and says, how do we apply that? What do we do with this parable? Well, we'll get there. Look at verses 5 and 7. 5 through 7. So, so summoning his master's debtors one by one. So apparently he still has the books. Right? Uh, and, and so he calls up his, his master's debtors one by one. And he said to the first, he said, how much do you owe my master? Now, he, he ought to know this, right? <laughs> he has the books. Then he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said, then take your bill, sit down quickly. Right? Quickly. Why? Because I'm about to lose my job. And write 50. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so he's too lazy, he's too proud to go get a job. So what's he do? He gets slick, right? He calls his master's debtors over, and only two examples are given, but I think, I think it's very safe to assume he did this with as many as he possibly could, okay? What's he do? He concocts a plan to, to doctor up their bills, right? Why? And by the way, the sum of these two, just these two, is about $100,000 for today's wages. Okay, just to give you an idea of what we're working with. This is some shady stuff, right? I mean, I'm looking at John. John's a business owner. This would not be good, right, John? Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> I mean, this cat is, he is shrewd. He is wise, right? If he would have put that much energy into keeping his job, he would definitely have it, right? 
But what's he doing? He's hoping to cash in on all these obligations so that when he's thrown out on his tail, as a result, he might have some friends. He might have some friends. That's what he's hoping to do. Now, that's, that's really the text as the parable. What do you expect that the rich man would do with this guy, though? I, I expect that he'd, like, he'd fire him, but then throw him in jail. I don't know how their laws worked all in, encompassing there. I, maybe he would spread the word that he was, this dude is bad, right? Because he can't be entrusted with money. He's shady. He, he took a boatload of my money. I think he would flip his stuff, right? He's not no good with this. But look what it says. The, the word of God, if it doesn't shock you, you are not paying attention. The master commended. Another word for that is praised. The dishonest manager for his shrewdness, or you could say street smarts, or, or wisdom. Now, is that what you expected? Because that's not what I expected. That's not what I expected at all. And, and now Jesus is telling who this? His disciple. And he's like, no, do likewise. <laughs> kind of, but not necessarily. I mean, the fact that this rich man is praising this dishonest manager for his shrewdness is shocking. I mean, it's absolutely shocking. I mean, why would he do that? Now, I do think this is a little, this is conjecture. We get ready for the answer. Why would he do that? I don't know. And you don't either. You know why? The Bible doesn't say. But, but I think we can think and say, well, okay, but, but why would he do that? Well, a lot of pointy-headed people have worked hard to come up with answers that I got to tell you, I just don't find satisfying at all. And I've read a lot of them this week. I found most of them to be trash. I really did, and I'm not trying to be rude here. I just think that they're reaching. They are taking all sorts of stuff and shoving it into the text, and it does not belong there. Um, as a matter of fact, maybe there, there are things you've got to do some hermeneutical gymnastics to get there, and I don't even feel like that's good. So I thought, oh, I could share all that with you, but I'm not going to. If you want to do that, I'll give you some resources. You know what I think it is, though? I don't think it's any more complicated than this. You ever see the meme where it's like, I know what you did. I think that's what it is. I guess exactly like game recognizes game. I, I absolutely think that's what's going on with this rich man and this manager. Why do I think that? I'm gonna give you a couple ideas. You can disagree with me, by the way, because there's tons of people that do. I have a few that also agree with me. Um, what's he gonna do? What's the rich man gonna do? It's all conjecture, by the way. Is he gonna go and tell all these people? My, my business manager, my, my guy, he lied to you, I want that money. But, okay, A, you show yourself to be pretty incompetent. You, you really do. You don't, you don't want to do that. Not only that, but you're a greedy bugger, right? And it's now you're going about groveling and begging. Although this manager, this steward, had absolute authority to do everything he did until those books were not in his hands. So you'd have to look like, I mean, that's, that's, that's shameful. And in that culture, I just don't think you're going to do that. I think he also realizes he could probably leverage this opportunity as a, as a gracious man because this steward's representing him. Okay? So he can just leverage that. You know, we don't even know. The, the amount of this stuff is, is a lot. It's more than a year's worth of gathering. So he may have, like, these people may have owed this stuff to that manager for a really long time. He might not have ever going to get this money anyway. At least he got 50%. At least he got 
I, I honestly don't know. But sometimes I do know this. You've just got to cut your losses. And I think that's what this man's doing. That's the parable, by the way. So I actually think that's where the story ends. Right in the middle of 8. Right? So let's call that 8a. The question then becomes, is why did Jesus tell this parable? Well, we're going to work hard to get to that. Look at 8b now. And I actually think this is where Jesus, okay, so I think the parable is over, and I think Jesus is now saying, Here, here's, here's your application for this family. Ready? For the sons of this world, let's call them the unbelieving world, are more shrewd or wise in dealing with their own generations than sons of light, meaning those who are saved. Okay, this is the point. The people who belong to the world, listen to what he's saying. It's very stinging. Jesus was a, the best preacher. Right? <laughs> the people who belongs to this world and all its corrupt values, the sons of this age, know how to get what they want from other people through clever planning and activity. In comparison, God's people, sons of light, are all too often fail to see how they can wisely or shrewdly use the things of this world to gain spiritual advantages, especially in relationships with others. It's a sting to you. I mean, get, get what he's saying. If only Christians would give as much attention to the things and the concerns of eternity as they do to their worldly business. How many more people might be in this? Just kidding. Well, that's exactly what he's getting at. That, I, can, I can surely say that's the point, right? Verse 9, then he goes on and he says, I tell you. So, so now he's, he's talking to his disciples. He's saying, I tell you, make friends for yourselves. Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Now, first off, when we moved here to Greensburg, uh, there, there were seven of us who were committed to the work of church planting. And this, this is too simplified, but you'll get the point. Our aim was to worship King Jesus and make friends. That was, that was our church planning effort. That was it. Walk with Jesus, make friends. Why? Because we're going to be praying that the Lord would make friends with them through repentance and faith. But if we get to know some folks, right, same mission applies to you. But here's the thing. Some Christians have really struggled with this parable because it seems as though Jesus is actually praising dishonesty in, in the theft of the service of self-interest, right? Uh, now, to be fair, it is a little encrypted in the language by means of unrighteous wealth. I think that's where most people get tripped up. However, I've got to tell you, in both verses 9 and 11, the word unrighteous wealth, it just means mammon of unrighteousness. And you're like, well, what does that mean? It's just money of the world. I think if you, if you understand it to that, it's not near as confusing, right? Jesus, to be clear, is not indicating wealth, right? He's, he's not applauding wealth that was obtained through wicked means, right? Because some of you are like, man, this is like the sermon I've been waiting for, bro. Right? I just go get money however I can and just do that thing. Not the sermon, right? Jesus is desiring, though, get this, that we make friends through being generous with all that God has given us as his steward. I just don't think it's all that confusing at all. I did when I first started this week, when I started looking at it. Because here's the, the, the deal. Jesus is going to be saying, your, fail, your, your, your wealth is going to fail you one day. He says it right in the text, right? It's, it's going to be gone through natural disaster, maybe through theft, 
market crash, um, you get kicked out on the street, you lose your job, I don't know. Or when you kick the bucket. But there's going to be a day, the, the money you have, a lot or little, it just does nothing for you. You, you can't go right before King Jesus and get ready to enter into the pearly gates and say, look at all the cash I got. He don't care. He already owns it anyway. He owns you. He owns everything. He's king. So what is Jesus urging? He's urging his disciples to be shrewd with it, to be wise with it, to be a good steward of it. And what do you want us to use it for, Jesus? Make friends. Make friends. Why does he say that? We should live in such a way that we're very creative with the money that God has given us. Not just money. Time, talent, treasure, everything. But this is particularly money. Be creative in how generous you are. That's what he's asking. Be creative. Right? Be generous. Why? Because I'll tell you right now, I know some generous people. They got lots of friends. They got lots of friends. Why? Because they don't love their stuff. They love the people that's in their lives. And they use their stuff to love those folks. That's what he's asking. That's what he's calling us to do. Um, well, but, but why? I keep saying why. But that's a good Bible interpretation question. Because one of the blessings of friendship is that when your money fails you, right, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Friends will welcome you into eternal dwellings. That's such a strange phrase, right? Does it cause you to go, hmm? Because it does me. Here's the question, though. Who are these friends? Who are these friends that are welcoming us into heaven, right? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. I think, I think, I think it's, it's Father, Son, Spirit, redeemed humanity, and angels. I absolutely think it's that. Could you imagine the day you die <laughs> and you go and remember all of heaven's rejoicing, Right? And they're welcoming you. Good job. High five. Good work. You were shrewd with that money. That money didn't own you. You handle business. Fist bump. And, and maybe the people that you were generous with came to faith because you were generous. God used that to bring them to faith so that they would go to heaven. And they would have not got there if you would not have been generous with what God has given you. And they are there to welcome you. Oh, God, thank you for being generous with all that God gave you because my tribe in so-and-so country came to faith because you gave money to make sure that we would have the Word of God in our language. You ever think of that? Because Jesus wants us to think like that. That's what he's calling us to do right here, right now. Jesus, his angels, grateful souls, eternal friends, those who have heard the gospel because of your generous living, greeting you when you go to be with the Lord. I think it's a cool thought. I think it's a cool thought to the point that, that I've, I've really had the opportunity to, to be generous with God's money with some pretty neat stuff. I'm going to meet folks from West Bengal, <laughs> India, who have come to know Jesus Christ because. Jesse and I said, we don't need a new car, man. We can do that. I don't tell you that so you go, oh, well, good job for you, Pastor Scott. No, I'm telling you, I was true with it. I was excited to give it. I never wrote one of those checks. Well, I actually never wrote a check. Anyway, it just came out. Ah, right? But I was thrilled where it went. Why? Because if I had a new car, I need another one another day. There, there were people who heard the gospel that would not have heard the gospel, at least from our activity, had we not engaged in that way. 
But it's a joy. It's a joy. I didn't miss any of it. Didn't miss any of it. So what's the point? Here's the point. Jesus' disciples are to be shrewd with our love. And possessions in order to win eternal friends. How does this work practically? It's a good question. Um, I, I say this, some disciples can do more, some, some less. But you all have to engage. This matters for your soul, too, I want you to know. The reason Jesus talks so much about money is because we're going to get to it. Last verse of today, 13. Because it's a worship issue. It's an absolute worship issue. And, and I hope to be able to show you that. May the Lord reveal that if you can't see that. But there's a guy named David Gooding. He puts it pretty pointedly. Here's what he says. He says, If when accounts are rendered, and it becomes known in heaven that it was your sacrificial giving that provided the copies of the Gospel of John, which led to a whole tribe coming out of paganism to faith in Christ. Will not that whole tribe show towards you an eternal gratitude, which they will not show towards you who spent spare cash on some luxury of your own joy? Church, I, I could actually give you a list of names right now of people who happily sacrificed many comforts in this life so that this church could be planted. I could name them. And, and, and they, many of them committed in three years because they know that unless we're going to go, you know, it's like, you know, Barnum and Bailey, like set it up, build it, and they will come, big church building, woo woo, right? Unless we do that, it takes time. If we're going to reach lost people and de-church people, it takes time. Because I've heard it said, and I get it, I get what they're saying, the last thing to be converted on a human is their pocketbook. I believe that. And, and so we're wanting to reach lost and de-church people, which means we needed absolute, I unashamedly asked for it. We needed cash. We needed checks. We needed credit cards. We need your money. Why? Because I'm not going to put that on new disciples. Because I'm not going to teach them all. I'm going to pray that the grace of God transforms their heart to the place where they're like, i got to figure out my finances. Because right now I'm so strapped I can't give seven bucks. But the Lord's doing the work here and I want to figure it out. So I'm going to put down the Starbucks and give seven bucks. I'm going to start there. That's seven bucks more than I gave last year. But that takes time. It takes time for the Lord to do that work, for the Spirit to do that work. And I just don't want to teach you the time to give some cash. But I'm going to tell you right now, I have friends. Oh, thank you, Lord. Who were eager to just write checks, sign up their credit card, and send money so that this could happen. So this could happen. You don't know any of them. But you know what they're hoping? Don't, don't think. They're shrewd. These people are good with money. They are very shrewd. You know what they're hoping for? To see smiles of lost people come to faith in Jesus Christ because they came here and did something in the name of Jesus that would bring him praise and bring people into the kingdom. And they're aiming to meet you, even if it's not on this side. And that's exactly how they think. And so they're checking on us. How you doing? Tell me about the work you're doing. I want to hear because they're shrewd. And if you're not doing it, I'm going to make sure I give God's money to a place that is doing it. How you think? I hope so. And if this is a new thought to you, then that's okay. You've got a lot to chew on this week, right? Okay, so that's the teaching point. Now Jesus is going to go rapid fire. So listen up. 
10 through 12. He says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, he just means the money of the world. That's all he means. Who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? It's a little cryptic, but it's not, it's not too tricky, right? You're going to have to give an account to King Jesus one day. That's what he said. You have to give an account. Open up the books, right? So here, here's the question I'm asking when, when I'm working through this all week. How are you doing, Scott? How are you doing, Jess? With the time, with the talent, with the treasure that King Jesus has entrusted us with. How are you doing? Right? Why this matters is because Jesus said, if you can't handle the small stuff, he means casual, right? The things of this world. It's a great indicator that you can't be trusted with greater responsibility from him. That's, that's what he's saying, right? Think about it. If you can't handle mundane finances properly, why would you trust him with greater gospel responsibilities in this world? What, what's a true gospel riches? care of souls. Friendships. That's the real wealth of this world. I'm going to tell you right now, that is the wealth. What's your friendship 401k look like? How many friends you got that aren't saved, by the way? Because he's saying, make friends with them so they come in. How many friends you got? Ask yourself that this is very tangible stuff that Jesus is getting at. He's in your boat. He's rocking it. Waves are coming in. How you feeling? A little sick. Okay. Hang in there. Because he wants you to think like this. Make no mistake about it. Our stewarding of his wealth, money and possession, and spiritual health are inseparably connected together. And I hated hearing that when I was reading Roger. Who I hated that. I'm like, can't this is over. I remember it. And that was the same man, by the way. In case you all start thinking, yeah, that Jesus saved you and you love to give money. Nope. Nope, that wasn't me. Jesus saved me, and I'm like, that's my money. That's my money. See, our finances represent one important area in which discipleship is played out. And you want to know where that area is? Our bank statement. You ain't gonna like this. But our bank statements reveal what we really love. Oh, do that. And by the way, no one here's gonna ask your bank statement. So you can you can just be like, I've been more. No, it's not. God knows. And he wants you to be free. See, he's not doing something to you in this sermon, in this work. He's doing something for you. Because so many times we don't have money, money has us. Well, now I know anxiety, worry, fretting, working 17 jobs just to keep on being broke. I see it all the time. Heck, I've been there. I've been there, right? But I'm telling you, your bank statements show what you truly love. They really do. I really got to be careful here because this could be like, okay, ready for some guilt preaching. But Jesus goes here. And, and it's all going to be wrapped in grace. But hang in there. You have to ask these questions. I'm not your Holy Spirit, by the way. Thank God for that. We do some crazy stuff. 
But, okay, Scott Rising, put your name there. Do you give more to self-care? Coffee, lotions, potions, gyms, clothing, streaming platforms, on and on, than you do the local church, missions, and other gospel activities as well. Do you? Right? It's, there's different seasons of this stuff, guys. By the way, like if your, your house just fell down, you might need not to give anything because you just need to like get that thing established so that you can get to a place where you can be generous. Okay, I get it. But if that season's 10 years, something's not right. Something is not right. And, and the reason this matters so much is because if, if, if I'm giving, I don't want to give to the church, but you're sucking down $18 lattes every day, that you're just going to, I mean, you know how this works, right? <laughs> Pretty quickly, don't know how many hours, between me so my nurse friends can help me. <laughs> but it's quick. It's quick. But you're like, no, I ain't got money. Church, church just wants my money. I don't, I don't want your lattes. Keep your lattes. But your heart needs to give it. And if you don't get it, you're good somewhere. Get it somewhere that's doing good gospel work. But I would say, if you won't give it here, then go there. You know, if you're trying to pick this up, no, I'm trying to make sure that you, as a disciple of Christ, don't think this section of my heart is off limits to Jesus. Because you won't have it. You will not have it. And the sinfulness of riches is a snare. The love of money drags more people to hell than all the wickedness you could think of. This is real. Oftentimes our bank accounts might show that something's off with our model of Christ. I'll let you and the Holy Spirit work through that. I have had that moment many times in my life. <coughs> Maybe it's just time to readjust. Maybe it's time to repent. It's time to ask God for forgiveness. And it's time to do something different. Right? Why? Because it's a worship issue. Don't believe it? Look at verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Ready? You cannot serve God. That's the point. That's the point. God commands that we worship him with all that we have been given. You don't have anything that you earned this. It's a gift. You might have worked your butt off to get it, but he, he gave you the abilities to get it. He gave you the job to get it. He gave the people who had the money to pay you to get it. Right? Like, all of it, your whole life, ready, is a gift. But God don't just give gifts for you. He gives gifts for you so that you can steward all the tips. And to do what? To see more people come into the kingdom. Everything you do matters. Oh, we talked about this all. There is no sacred and secular part of your life. Everything is sacred. Everything. How you do everything. How you interact with your barista is sacred. Tip, right? Everyone wants tips now. It's like, I bought a donut, bro. Chill. Right? Tip. 30% of your donut. No! You got me a donut. No, if it's a service industry, I'm glad to tip. But like, a donut? I just want me to do your work and give your employees a raise. I refuse to do it. Because I just don't do this good stewarding this one down. You want to go take one down and praise God. <laughs> In the end, 
our relationship to money is one of love and service. Is that how you think about money? The reason this matters is because, let's be real, money is so powerful and seductive that we're easily tempted into giving our whole lives to service to it. I mean, seriously, this isn't detached from me. I'm telling you, the cheapskate, the workaholic, the overspender, the person who works 8,000 hours a day, worrying about money is in danger of serving money. You just saw it. I know rich people who are idol worshippers of money. I know poor folks who are idol worshippers of money. And I know all the people in between who love to worship money. And here's the thing that happens. You, you can tell so many times because anxiety, by the way, anxiety is a real thing. You can have anxiety about money without being an idol worshipper. But if you stay there always worrying about making sure, you're not trusting God to just give you what you need. And what you might need is to lose. And you don't hear that through prosperity Christian. You might need to lose your house. <coughs> oh, make friends. I got one square bedroom. We'll make you do stuff. <laughs> no free ride. Just kidding. Um, but you might. You might need to lose that car. Right? Could you do it? Or, no, I'm going to burn my family at the altar of making sure all our bills are paid for and all our stuff is nice and I got the best of everything because that's where my identity is found. This is real stuff. This is what Jesus is asking us. So, so let me ask you a question. What does it look like to serve God above mine? Right? What does it look like? I, I tell you, think of yourself as a steward, because you are. Be aware and evaluate. Just, just look at it. We look at it once a year. What areas can we be more generous with all that God's given us, right? So I'll tell you what that's looked like for us. We set a standard of living that was this benchmark, and if we ever got more, I'm talking years before I ever became a pastor, and still true today, and we're just like, I can be content and happy with this. Can you be content and happy with this? Or do we have to have a big house? I don't have to have a big house. I'm content living on Sydney Street. It's cool, right? Okay, car. I'm just not buying a car. And by the way, none of this is rules for you. Just, just to be clear, I'm telling you how I engage the Word of God by the Spirit of God with the grace He's given, stock rising. Giving generously, the first thing we do is we give to our church. Before we even had an offering here in Fourth City Church, we gave, right? Um, we give to gospel-advancing ministries, missionary work. We love doing that. We set aside, when, especially when Sarah was young, grace opportunities. That's what we call them. A little jar and a little extra cash. This actually became fun. We just put some cash in there, and every so often, we would say, let's look for opportunities God gives us to be gracious towards people, and so we, we've had the opportunity to buy, sometimes simple things, coffee for some folks, dinner for some folks, gift cards for people who needed some things. Uh, I think our most extravagant thing was tires for a single mom. And I gotta tell you, we loved it. We loved it. It was a blast to be able to do. These are questions we all have to ask ourselves. And you have work to do. You have work to do as you engage the Lord and, and think about how you're going to do this. And, and once again, no, no one here is checking. No, not like that. That's, that's work you have to do. 
Now, I'm telling you right now, if you don't come to a text like this and say, God, how can I be a better steward of all that you've given me? You're just not listening. You're just not paying attention. And, and I'm, Jesus is concerned for you. And you're like, oh, this town might be some we go back to lost coins. I gotta tell you, buckle up, because the, the last third of Luke is, is just gonna get in your business. It's gonna get in your boat. You'd be like, oh, I'll look ahead and see which one's this kid. I don't recommend that. <laughs> These are questions we have to ask ourselves because Jesus wants us to be shrewd. He wants us to be wise with his wealth, with all that he's given us, so that more people come into the kingdom. So what does this shrewdness look like? Ah, I'm so glad you asked. Ready? Luke 12, 32 through 34. I thought, long and hard, how do I finish this sermon? Because I didn't want it to be like that. And, and the Lord, man, he just reminded me. I guarantee right now, Scott, there's, there's people, by the way, it wasn't an audible thing for all my recording friends. He just brought this word to my mind, right? Remind them of my grace. So, so Luke 12, 32 through 34, hear the words of Christ as you think about all this. Fear not. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. Family, those who are trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation, the Father knows what you need already. He knows what you need. It's a comforting thought. But only if He's gracious. If He's gracious, He's extremely gracious. He's given you everything in His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who owns everything. He, he's the, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, left it all. Stripped himself down, humbled himself to the point to a baby. We talk about need. He left the courtroom of heaven where angels just praise him all day long to, to just be laid in a feeding trough. To, to be raised by parents who were sinful. But that they were good. But they were sinful. He became poor so that you and I could actually have real riches. Real riches. True riches life with God. So, so if God will give you his son for your salvation, God help me to not be so anxious about it. Because if you have given me your son, what would you ever withhold from me that I need to do for you? By the way, sometimes what you need, I, I said this before, I'll say it again, is to lose the things you think you have to have. It's fast up. But you can trust him even in that. You can trust him in that loss. You can trust that your father is so for you. It is, listen, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He delights to do it. We just heard last week, the week before, angels rejoice at the thought. Your father owns everything. 
Can you trust with you? I hope you can. You can. The kingdom is the other way, the kingdom, right? Where it says it's your good, your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom is the rule and reign of God through Christ. That's what the kingdom is. It has no end. Your money, your house, your 401k, all these things, they have an end. They will end. Think far beyond what you have here right now. Get your head above the clouds and think far beyond. Far, it's coming. For some of us, it's coming pretty quick. I'm looking at the air, got some snow on the roof. <laughs> it's coming quick. It's gonna happen. Well, we just have to get to a point where we talk about things like this, right? I know I'm getting older. I'm getting colder. My feet get cold. My circulation ain't working. I, my shirts are shrinking or my belly's getting bigger. But, but it's coming for you. What will you do? What will you do with everything God's given to you? Oh, man, I hope you do something at all. Do something at all. And you just say, oh, God, help me to be a good steward of all you've given me. Help me to worship you with my time and talent treasure. It's all yours. Set me free of the things that hold my heart. Let my heart be in your secure hands. Because that's, that's more real than anything this world has offered. And be set free. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the down payment. You have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. Everything you need to live a faithful life to the God you say you worship. So God help us to do that. Help us to be a worship. He will give more grace. He will give more grace. He will help us. I'm sure it's that. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.